coming up in this episode and it's a quote where it's like oh sorry steve haven't got time to talk to you send me some resumes but i'm not going to be talking to you on the phone about this job but send me some resumes and then the bit underneath is like recruiters don't accept this you're better than this and it got 500 odd likes who's liking that it's obvious it's just it's just obvious nonsense it's a keyboard warrior folk like to do things publicly so they can get on a pat on the back from the other keyboard. Do you think some people do it for engagement? Do what? Just write absolute nonsense. Oh God, of course. Why else would you do it? Adam, welcome to The Caller. Thank you for coming. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, all well, good. I want to talk to you today, uh, obviously, a little bit about the industry you work in, in particularly headhunting, what brought you to where you are today uh, with your own business as well. You've been a user of iTris for, for some time. I know you've used it uh, previously to setting up your own business as well. Obviously, since setting up Ros and David in, in 2018, you, you, you've used iTris as well. What what sort of made you want to set up your own business, uh, particularly in marketing and, and taking on that headhunting type approach? Good question. I think I kind of fell into it, which I think is the most commonly said phrase about Pretty recruitment. Sure. I'll try and think <laughs> of a better way of saying it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and recruitment sounded like a good option based on the skills that I developed in previous jobs. Mm -hmm. And marketing sounded fun. The people, from what I gathered from doing a bit of research, marketing folk typically like to talk a lot like I do. They're pretty extroverted like I am. So I thought the personality match would be good. And then, yeah, started at a marketing recruitment agency and learned an awful lot in two years. Like it was an absolute fast track mm -hmm. um, and worked with some really good people, was trained by some really good people. But I also worked alongside some people that weren't so great. Wow. So over the course of that two years, I picked up a lot of, observed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I thought, that's good. I'm going to steal that and add that to my kind of arsonry of skills. Mm -hmm. But I also witnessed some colossal mistakes and some porky pies and some things that weren't so great. So I saw a lot of things that I knew I needed to avoid. Mm -hmm. So it culminated in, after doing it for sort of two and a half years, I just thought, I feel like I can create something that's better and it didn't come from a place of arrogance it just came from a place of everyone's got a horrendous reputation in recruitment mm. so if we can start something from scratch and just be so service focused mm. then people only ever say good things about us hopefully we'll be known as a separate entity from all of that bad reputation mm. and that's how we kind of started it so where, where did where did the sort of brand and the name Roslyn David come from was that just something that so myself and my business partner at the time um bobby bobby yeah yeah, yeah. so we sat down and we thought it'd be a good long chat opened a bottle of wine and we're like what are we going to call yeah <laughs> i it was a drunken no not well this is what i'm about to say we got about two mouthfuls into the first glass of wine and we had it nailed because i just said my grandmother who's like the most important person in my life oh, her and my wife are kind of you know at the same sort of level and <laughs> um, her name's Roslyn, and she's an absolute legend of a human being so i said i'd quite like Roslyn to be in it and Bobby said, well, my late uncle was called David. And we sat there and we went, Rosslyn David. Mm -hmm. Done. And we were like, right, we'll just wrap up and move on. Happy days. Did you finish the wine? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then the it was Rosslyn David Recruitment Limited. Um, and originally it was kind of marketing recruitment done the right way. And then over time, which I'm sure you're going to ask me about, we developed sort of a headhunt technique. Mm -hmm. And that became the backbone of our service proposition. So it wasn't headhunting from day one? It was, but it wasn't branded as that. Right. So when we started, we had no uh, clients on our books, no candidates on our books, no budget for job ad spend or mm -hmm. job boards or anything like that. And we had to go and headhunt. So rather than putting a job advert out and waiting for the right people to come to us or doing mm -hmm. a quick search on a database, hoping that we've got a CV with the right keywords, it was, we've got to go and find these people. 
and we stuck to it. And then when we rebranded, it was Ross and David, the marketing headhunters. And that was about two years ago. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And the rebrand looks looks great, actually. Remember, remember when you did it? it was oh, they've they've rebranded. Yeah. It's really cool. I can't. I, I, can't, I, the, I wrote the content. Didn't come up with a logo. Yes, yeah. a guy called Tom Steadman who's excellent. Yeah, we like we like the fact that uh, Itris has got. You can see a bit of Itris on your website as well, with people using it and stuff. So, in, in terms of service levels and building that culture behind the brand, like you said, you wanted it to obviously be be different was it just you and bobby to start yeah. yeah yeah so when you took new people in how did you kind of create that culture of here's how we do things mm. here's why this is different and did you did you bring people in that had experience obviously within recruitment and and what was that change like for them yes and no so we, we've had a couple of people that have had recruitment experience and a couple of people that haven't but mm -hmm. to answer your the beginning part of your question quite succinctly it was if you're going to join ross and david don't focus on the money mm. because when I first started in recruitment, I was always told by three different firms I interviewed at the time, not mm. just one, the more you, more jobs you get on, the more money you're going to make mm. go. And at the time I thought, well, great, I'll crack on with that. I was in my early twenties, mid twenties, mortgage and all that kind of stuff. But then you get too much work on, so you're spread too thinly and then the service yeah, level yeah. inevitably drops. So when we started, it was... I think we filled every role we worked on probably for about a year mm. and that's great mm. but it was because we had a fewer amount of roles to work on so we could be more thorough with them and equally being a startup every single penny absolutely counted sure so when anybody joined Roslyn David it was like right forget about the 10 15 20 jobs that you've worked on at once previously mm. work on four five six seven and get absolutely under the skin of every candidate you talk to the client the job and then your fill ratio will improve. And if you focus on doing the right job, the money will come inevitably later. But mm. if you focus on the money to start with, things are going to fall apart. And would they typically be across, or would they typically have been at that time across different clients as well? Like yeah. those those jobs? So they yeah. wouldn't necessarily be for the same client? No. Uh, how, how do you sort of teach people to, because obviously we talk a lot about actually quality over quantity in everything we do as a business mm. but just in in recruitment in general i think that's you know really important especially if you're sending cvs or if you like say working jobs how how do your sort of consultants how do you sort of get to understand your clients mm. so you can service them better i assume you go through some form of qualification obviously on the job mm. but when you're looking for that cultural fit for that customer mm. what what's the sort of typical approach you have there with with getting to know them, I guess. So our kind of little line that we use is we will either fill the role for you or we'll tell you why we can't fill it. Great. And a lot of the things we hear from clients where they've used a recruitment agency and not been happy is we've used John Smith recruitment. They've sent us two CVs. Neither of those were right and we haven't heard from them since and that was a month ago. Right. And that's what a lot of clients say to us. So mm -hmm. if we do work on a position and we can't fill it, we'll explain to them why. You know, the right candidates that you're after are looking for more money. Mm. The fact you want them in five days a week in the office is not landing well in that particular demographic. Mm. Or you've got unrealistic unrealistic expectations against the breadth of the job spec. It's too, it's too broad. You need to narrow it down and be a little bit more specific. So it's all about that consultative piece. So mm -hmm. a lot of recruitment agencies, not all, but are quite... They don't beg for the work, but they are very grateful to have the work on in the first place. So it puts a hierarchy take, in place. Yeah. So the client will just dictate and give orders to the recruiter and the recruiter mm -hmm. will say, okay, great, I'll go and do my best. Whereas mm -hmm. we try and be on the same level as the client and it's more consultative. Mm -hmm. So if you were hiring in your team, you'd tell me what you want. 
based on my market knowledge, I would go, Paul, I think we've got a good chance of filling this. I'm going to go and crack on. Mm -hmm. If I don't think so, I'll explain why. And if I do go to market and I can't fill it, I'll feed back to you with data and information as to why so we can work together, tweak the requirement and get the person that you want in the business. How, how sort of receptible are they for that kind of feedback in terms of, you know, if you're saying, look, you want this person, but you're 20, 30 grand under what mm. the market's dictating. Yeah. So they can seem to be quite receptive for that. Or do you find some just go, oh, well, I've spoke to another recruitment agency who mm. definitely say they can fill it at this at this role. Yeah. It's a case by case basis. Right. But there's nothing more powerful than turning work down. Mm. That sounds a bit odd. Mm. But if I'm confident enough that I don't think I can fill it and I say, I'm sorry, to be honest, to be blunt, I don't think there's any point in us even looking. Mm with a tricky client that tends to land quite well mm. most of the time they're receptive i think companies can't pluck 50 pound notes off of a tree mm. but if they want something specifically and they've got a budget of 50k on a salary mm. and i say to them we've got two choices we either look to pay 60 65 with a bonus or if 50k is your budget let's talk about who you can get what skill sets you can get for that amount of money so you might need to sacrifice something on the job spec you know if, you, if you're not looking someone with you know these mm. photoshop skills or whatever yeah. it might be for example that digital content yep. sort of piece then we can definitely get something yeah. so they're more more receptible to that we, we've we've talked a lot recently and there's a lot of chat in the industry um about sort of technology in general uh in particular the rise of ai mm. and automation i think automation in 2023 has been absolutely hammered mm. particularly across recruitment you and i had a brief chat earlier before before recording started about this as well we're partnering with a lot more tech within the industry that offers that that automation uh, a lot of it's brilliant you know a lot, i can really see where the value add is for a lot of businesses a business like yours though and that headhunting model it's a very personable approach you know it's very one-on-one -on -one conversations mm. with the customers but then if you're going off and headhunting someone either via linkedin or, or, or picking up the phone to them and i know you're not a massive user of tech um which is something you've always been quite honest about Absolutely. on social media and yeah. with us you know you yeah. you have itris and it serves a purpose but i think you you know you admit that actually you only use a very small percentage of that functionality it it that it has to offer mm. why is that um, I'm a bit of a techie phobe, right. which is the first thing, and that's the biggest <laughs> thing. I remember we we made a bit of a change with technology in the company a few years ago, and I went on holiday for two weeks. And when I came back, everyone basically ganged up on me in the office and said, "We're doing it. You haven't got a choice." I remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought you might have been involved in that. Um, I completely forgot. I remember talking to Jordan. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I think that's the first thing. I think technology is great, generally speaking. Mm. Um, but I think. The mistake that we're making as humans, not to get philosophical about mm -hmm. this, and I'm not a techie person, so I don't really know what I'm talking about, but my opinion is that a lot of people are using technology to get around doing things themselves mm. and speeding processes up and not working as hard, to be completely honest mm. with you. You know, if you've got a recruiter that can spend an hour crafting individual in-mails or emails to candidates to get their attention about a vacancy mm. that might take an hour, or they can press a button, hi, brackets, first name, brackets, and mm -hmm. click send, go down the pub or move on to the next task they're going to do that but that's not the way that you do it you don't get people's attention through sending the same thing to 50 or 100 people mm. if i'm trying to get the attention of somebody who doesn't really want to give me their attention i've got to work bloody hard for it mm. especially if i'm turning someone's head away from a, 
a role that they're in that they're perfectly happy with, mm. I've got to write some compelling, sexy, interesting, personalised content mm. to get them to read what I'm saying and then want to have a conversation with me. And you can't do that through just clicking a button. Yeah, I think there is a, there is some tools out there that offer hyper personalised, you know, messaging. Yeah. Uh, whether that's in your LinkedIn inbox or via email, and I think we all probably have received more than we care to in mm. terms of you know I get absolutely hammered with do you want to generate more leads for your business and yeah. it's like yeah of course I do but I also don't want to work with a business that's just going to send me a generic in mail that's how you're so, trying to win my business yeah exactly and that's what you're going to do for that's me. what you're going to do to me yeah. I don't I kind of find it or something yeah, yeah. Is, is that as what well? I do think there's room for for both yep but I think like you were saying it should, these tools I don't think should should be used just to save you times so you can not work as hard yeah I think the cu the customers and the the clients that we see use it well uh, will will implement something, but then they'll really monitor it across their user base and actually look at you know the the proper ROI or mm. where where have we improved? Is this working? What you know and and look at that sort of cost cost benefit analysis. But I think that's harder with the, that sort of modern headhunting approach. It's not even a modern headhunting approach, is it? It's just that headhunting mm. approach it has to be a lot more sort of one-on-one. -on -one. And let's say I was recruiting and I said, Adam, you know, I need a, you know, a digital content creator, a marketing executive. Yeah. Ideally, I want someone from a competitor. He's the company's odd. What, what's your kind of first port of call in terms of approaching someone on, on my behalf or obviously as the, as the recruiter? Yeah, so the first thing is a detailed brief, ideally in person at worst over Teams or Zoom. If you live in Walsall and I'm in Brighton, it's a bit of a trek to yeah. sit down with someone for an hour, but we do it when do we you can. you typically do that face-to-face? -face yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, and which I love that. Yeah. So much is just behind screens now, and I really I don't, and this is why we wanted to do the podcast, even face-to-face, -face, right? Because we see so much, everyone just is behind a screen now, and I just don't feel like you build that Mm. you know that, that that personal you know sort of approach of people yeah so we have to get the brief and get it get, be detailed yeah and then there'll be a job spec that you've written which will hopefully back up what you've told me mm -hmm. and it's all I use a job spec as more of a supporting document so I'll go and headhunt off the back of what comes out of your mouth rather than what you've written on the shopping list which yeah. is essentially what a job spec is and then we map the market and identify who we think is going to be appropriate based on existing contacts based on people we've never spoken to based on what we can see on LinkedIn based on the networks that we have and then we build that kind of top of funnel, it's more of a long list than a short list. Mm -hmm. And then we approach them and have conversations. Some people ignore us. Some people come back and go, not sure it's for me, but I'm open to a discussion. Some people say it sounds amazing. Let's have a chat. So we talk to all of these people. And then we typically spend hour, hour and a half with these individuals. And we kind of interview them without knowing that they're being interviewed. So it's a very free flowing conversation that we're having now. Mm -hmm. In the back of my mind, I'm sense checking what you're saying against what you've told me that you want, mm. so to speak, and then send over the job spec, more information about the business, and then we have a second conversation once I've had a look at the candidate's CV, and then if I'm happy, the candidate's happy, everything's great, I then will add that person into my shortlist that's going to be submitted over to the client, yeah. and it's not just, here's a CV, what do you think? It's here's the information that I've managed to garner from having a conversation and, in, and interviewing them myself, mm -hmm. which you won't get from the CV. So that's the value that we add. Mm. So we almost consider ourselves as like the first layer of interviews. Mm. and Which is good because so many people are just like, oh, got that skills on the CV and that skills on the job spec. 
match and that's what a lot of technology does is yeah it? you know it's just that automatic yeah these person has these things you're you're looking for mm. typically with the the candidates you're approaching uh, the, these are not candidates that you're finding obviously on job boards these are people that you that are working and not necessarily actively looking mm. how, how do you find how receptive are these candidates to even having a conversation because nine times out of ten typically now particularly at the moment job security for people is, yeah. is key right rising cost of living people you know if they've been in a role for seven eight years for example there might be that fear of well i don't want to go and start something new in case it doesn't work out how receptive are they to you even picking up the phone and approaching them very really? it's 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 very very rare that we get a response back that says sorry why have you why have you picked me up for this why mm-hmm. have you messaged me like genuinely Hand on heart, I can't remember the last time it happened because. So they were generally entertaining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, if if I if I had a hundred people that I had in my mind for a role, not in my mind, but in a in a list that I'm like, right, I need to try and talk to as many of these as possible. I might have conversations with forty of them, which doesn't sound great, but it's because of that for of the of the one hundred twenty might just not see the message. Mm. Ten might come back and say thanks, but no thanks. Another ten might ask me a question that I haven't put the information about this question in the in the response. It might be, you know, is there any flex on salary or I I don't know. I like to work from Italy for a month of the year. Would they accommodate this, etc.? So then that might rule them out. Mm. And then once we have those conversations, that's where we build that shortlist out. But people are genuinely very responsive. And the thing that lets us know what we're doing is different and better than a lot of other recruitment firms is the feedback from the candidates. Mm. Like weekly, we get messages back saying, thanks so much. I don't usually respond to this sort of thing, but your message was great. Or mm. you've given me a load of information or there was a bit of humor in it or a mm. bit of sarcasm, or I can tell you've read my profile because you've mentioned something I did four years ago. Mm. So I know this isn't automated rubbish. And yeah, that's no, always it's, it's, it's standing out amongst all yeah. the the ai bullshit isn't it mm. it's you know if, if if they're getting 50 in mails a month from recruiters trying to approach them and it's mm. all generic or and it's all very samey being that one that stands out is going to spark that oh actually i might i might respond to this yeah. one because that's what i do as a as a human you know I, we was you know i receive a lot of in mails as i said I, you know inbox via email and stuff as well and very we are more likely to actually entertain someone that picks up the phone to us and, uh, and cold calls us. That's not an invite, by the way, <laughs> out there watching. But it's like they've actually made the effort. Yeah. And you can tell, you know, we can then tell, I mean, Jordan's generally my gatekeeper and he's, he's absolutely brilliant because sometimes they, they will say, oh, oh, can we speak to the sales? Like, well, who is it? Oh, mm. uh, and it's like, it's on our website. It's yeah. on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's on all these things. Laziness. If you haven't made the effort to yeah. go and do your research before picking up the phone, do one. Yeah. But actually, if someone says, "Oh, can I speak to Paul? I've got you know mm. representing this marketing candidate. I think he might be interested. Worked in your industry. Yeah, great. Mm. Might not that. be recruiting. I'll remember that. But we'll <laughs> always we'll always give them the opportunity to yeah. have that conversation because mm. we can see that they've made an effort because we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to run businesses, do sales, mm. you know, create business development opportunities. So, and and I just feel, you know, from our point of view, I will just delete, 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 delete. Yeah. Oh, actually, this that one sounds right. Yeah. So it's the same on the candidate, on the candidate side. If, if there was a candidate, um, particularly that you really wanted to get hold of, but they didn't respond to you, what, what would you do? Because headhunting to me has always been like, you know, like a, 
a headhunter. I'm going <laughs> to go and this, track this person yeah, down. Yeah, with a, with a, with a, with a pitchfork <laughs> or something. Will you go as far as turning up outside there? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Do you know what? I'll be completely honest. The, the furthest I've gone and I ended up deleting it, I haven't told anybody this apart from the guys in the office. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. If you like. The corner, if you like. Um, so I was working for a company that were very deep in forensic analysis of crime scenes and all that kind of stuff. So it's really niche technical stuff. And they wanted a particular marketing skill set. And they said, the utopia person for us is somebody who might have studied forensics at uni and then got into marketing. Which was a headhunter. I'm like, Banging. Yeah. That's exactly what I want. The more specific you can be, yeah, yeah. the easier it is for me to that is job. pretty niche. Yeah. And there was a lady who was in a role, and I'm not a psychic, but I could tell based on her career path and where she was working currently that this opportunity would pay her a lot more than she's on mm. and probably give her a little bit more autonomy. And that was purely by chance that I knew where she was currently working. So I tried to call her because I had her phone number from a previous conversation a couple of years ago. She didn't take my call. I dropped her a text. I then emailed her a couple of times. And then I wrote a post on LinkedIn. And it was, we'll call her Emma. It was a dear Emma. Um, Did you tag her in it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I then deleted it. Because I wrote the post thinking, this is blinded. And I got good feedback. And then some not so good feedback. That's well, that. But yeah, it was just a, like a dear Emma. You might have seen me pop up in a couple of inboxes. I'm really, really keen to talk to you. Mm. Trust me, you're going to want to have this conversation. And if it's a waste of your time, I'll send you a nice bottle of wine or a hamper or something like that. Mm -hmm. And what I was hoping is that she'd see it, the fact that I'd tagged her in it, and she'd message me and go, bloody hell, wouldn't you leave me alone? And then, and then that's all I need, and then we have a conversation. Like a bite. But yeah, I think I left, I left it up there for about an hour, hour and a half, and it got a load of engagement, and it was a load of people going, thinking outside the box, great work. Mm. Oh, you pesty recruiter, how dare you out her, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, was that her manager? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm not out in there. I'm just writing publicly that I want to speak to her. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw she viewed my profile. And I thought, oh, she's great. I'm going to go and put the kettle on. I'll come back and she'll have messaged me. She viewed my profile and didn't do anything with it. Blocked it. So, no, she didn't. So I just deleted <laughs> the post and moved on. Right. That's the furthest I've gone. I've done it once, probably won't do it again. But at the time, I thought it was a good idea. Mm. I'll be there, yeah, but it didn't. So I, I made a mistake. <laughs> As people do. While we're just on that subject of, um, of skipping ahead a bit here, but the the, the social media posting and, and and stuff as well, I wanted to talk to you today about what makes a good headhunter and also some of your social media posts as well. Right. I've I've got some friends who are really good at stalking people online. That's Facebook. <laughs> and you, know, you mentioned a the name, they're like, oh, did you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to school in Sweden, so <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Would they make good headhunters? Is that like a skill you would look out for as someone that can, you know, that stalking or that ability to go and find information fast? Probably. But it depends what they're motivated by. Because if they're motivated by gossip, mm. maybe, maybe not. If they can align that focus to headhunting, doing a good job for the candidate and client yeah. and, you know, working hard and earning a good living. Yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely a transferable skill. I will send this snippet to those people okay. specifically. Yeah. So right. you consider that. It yeah, it's probably kind of fun, yeah. but we'll give yeah. it a go. Yeah. Um, with your social media posts, obviously, obviously you're a client of ours, so we, we follow you, but actually we all love seeing some of the posts you've you just saying that because I'm here? No, in particular, okay. I want to go and um, introduce you to Chris, who I know you've spoken to a few times earlier. But when he knew he was coming in today, he's like, I love his social media posts. He's, he's, you, <laughs> love it. You can, be, you can be seen as quite 
controversial to some people, not to everyone. Yeah. And I love the way you often dig bullshit out on LinkedIn. Mm. Let's, I'm like let's, a sniffer let's, dog. Let's call it... It's, yeah. it's the headhunter in you. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not hard when it's bloody everywhere, though. There's the a lot. Uh, and that seems to have, like, ramped up mm. over the last, you know, couple of years in particular. You've got this blue box that you mm. that you pull out, which I absolutely love seeing it because there is there is a lot of nonsense, mm. I feel, on, on LinkedIn. There's a lot of really good content on there, and obviously it's going to be, you know, your your, your feed's going to be based off various algorithms on, on LinkedIn and yeah. who you're interacting with and, and, and you know, people in your um, talk pool people are interacting with. Do you get much backlash sort of in your inbox if you were, again, digging... Not, not necessarily. I don't see it as digging someone out, but call, calling someone out. I guess in terms of that didn't happen. Response in the inbox. Yeah, like no. To, to, so. No, so no one. Never. Right. Not once. Uh, do you know what? Let me think about it. I might have had a couple of conversations that have started in comments and then moved to an to inbox. inbox. Right. I've never had anybody go. By the way, mate, I disagree with you. I think that's bullshit. And here's why: in an inbox, mm. never. Because keyboard warrior folk. Yeah. like to do things publicly so they can get on a pat on the back from the other keyboard. Do you think some people do it for engagement? Do what? Just write absolute nonsense. Oh, God, of course. Why else would you do it? Mm. You wouldn't go and say it to your partner, Mrs. Husband at home. You wouldn't make something up and then go to someone in a room of two or three people <laughs> and go, oh, you're never going to guess what happened to me at the <laughs> yeah, petrol station today. Totally. Of course not. It's all it's yeah. it's like hunting. Mm. And it's it's people trying to force the creation of a personal, personal brand with lies. Because a personal brand is designed to do exactly that. Make a brand based around your personality. Mm. We should be effortless. If you if you have a job and you know what you're doing in your job and you talk with confidence and with conviction and knowledge about what your specialist subject is, mm. you're going to create a personal brand. Mm. But if you can't write, your personal brand is never going to take off. If you don't have anything interesting to say, your personal brand is never going to take off. So if you've got people that can't write and they've got nothing interesting to say, mm. they use chat GPT and they lie. And that's what, but, but that gets spotted by other people. So and then I turn up with my box of, pop that in there, for it never happened, did it? <laughs> yeah. And that usually gets a shitload of likes from yeah, people yeah, because yeah. they agree with me, but they don't feel compelled to comment on it. Whereas mm. I am a mouthy sod sometimes. And I, I can't help it. I, I have, I, I refrain, you know, sometimes mm. from commenting on stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad there's people like yeah. you out there that are... <laughs> I'm scared to do it, yeah. but as a you know, I, I I feel sometimes well, you know, Itris is it it's it's not my business, mm. you know. I'm you know a senior director here, but it's not you know I don't own the 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 product, I don't own mm. the, the the brand, so I feel like I'm representing you know that. So I'll always you know be very careful what I what I put on, on, mm. on LinkedIn. But you know, I suppose now we've got these like you said AI and you know ChatGPT almost enabling that bullshit to be you know better. Mm. Sometimes what frustrates me is we see some really decent content, uh, either short form video content, which we're all doing at the moment. And a lot of a lot of individuals are putting a lot of time and effort into really doing quality stuff. And spending to, money. And spending the money to, to build their personal brand yeah. as well as their, their, their company's brand and get build that trust with their clients, with their yep. candidates or whatever. But sometimes we will see the most ridiculous post of a dog get more engagement than some really good informative content yeah why do you think that is 
Firstly, I love dogs, so I have to say, if there's one if there's one non-work related thing on LinkedIn that I love is dogs because I prefer dogs to people. If I could be a dog head hunter, unless it unless it was a dog a story about someone walking a dog and they bumped into this person and the dog bit them and then they were interviewing with them later yeah. that day, I would comment and be like, get, get the dog on here, get that the dog in gonna, the box, yeah, hundred um, percent. I think it's because people like we hear this phrase echo chamber quite a lot. And I tend to think that it's above the line, vacuous nonsense that gets a lot of the engagement. And it tends to be things that, uh, how can I word this? People who don't have, don't have the ability or the inclination to think for themselves will see a post and go, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel. Like, like I saw one a couple of days ago. And it had 550 odd likes at the time. And it was just a recruiter saying, um, and it's a quote where it's like, oh, sorry, Steve, haven't got time to talk to you. Send me some resumes, but I'm not going to be talking to you on the phone about this job, but send me some resumes. And then the bit underneath is like, recruiters don't accept this. You're better than this. And it got 500 odd likes. Who's liking that? It's obvious. It's just it's just obvious nonsense. Yeah. That the idiots in society, for want of a nicer phrase, go, oh, I agree with that. It doesn't add any value. No. It, it does. It does make me sort of really question, you know, the the LinkedIn audience, and again, what people are like relating to yeah. and not, and what they're finding valuable. You know, mm. to me, if I like and engage with something, it's because I found it valuable. Sometimes mm. because I found it funny or yeah. interesting. Is that why you don't like my post <laughs> anymore? <laughs> I, I, I always, I always love your your, your your blue box. But there's some really good examples of businesses doing it well. Um, and individuals doing it well, um, but you know what's what's frustrating is those are not putting in any effort or you know using something generic to create mm. you know noise. Not just gets that engagement once, but continues to as well. And it's a, to me is that um, was it semantic satiation? Is someone keeps saying it, it just mm. becomes sort of irrelevant. But we often see oh, that that person's got loads of engagement again, and what they posted is rubbish. Should we be posting absolute rubbish with you know with that help? And we don't you know we don't want to lower ourselves to that level. Would would you go obviously when when you're looking at someone's LinkedIn profile for a for a job, mm. will you look through what kind of content they're they're posting and 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 judge based off what they're posting whether they'd be a good fit for your client? Sometimes depends on the job, um, and it also there's a there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people out there that if they were given the opportunity and they were allowed to create their own personal brand would be mm. incredible but they're hamstrung by the fact that they represent the business. They yeah. might be in a very corporate world where you cannot even slot, you can't even have an opportunity to bring your employer into disrepute with an opinion, mm. let alone creating a personal brand. So I don't feel like I can, as a headhunter, I can judge people based on the content that they post. Um, but sometimes if it's the other end of the spectrum and I see people post absolute nonsense, whilst personally I might think that they're a complete idiot for some of the things they write, mm. I have to take my opinion out of it because whether I like your content that you put on on Instagram or sorry, on LinkedIn when you're trying to create your personal brand, that has nothing to do with whether you're any good at your job or not. Mm. And I'm not tasked by clients to find people that I like or I agree with. Mm. I'm tasked to find the people who are best at executing a job. So I do look at it, but it doesn't form, it rarely forms part of my opinion as to whether I'm going to head to try and head up them or not. Mm. So you've never blue boxed an applicant? <laughs> no, I've had a few people who've had the same member of family die twice. 
<laughs> which well, was... as an excuse to not turn up to an interview. Yeah, genuinely, yeah. Wow. Which was which was pretty shocking. Um, so it was the nan, isn't it? It was a grandparent. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a grandparent. It was a parent. Because you can obviously have multiple grandparents. So it was a parent. I think it was their mum or their dad that died twice Why? in the space of about a year, based on notes that I could see. So that was interesting. Adam, as a hiring manager myself, I haven't always got it right. I think, you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, hired some great people over the years. Sometimes, and on the odd occasion, we get a really good candidate, looks great on paper, we'll have a phone call with them, an initial phone call intro, comes across really well on the phone. And this might be, you know, typically it might be for a sales role or an account manager role. And they come in to interview, interview well, we might set them some tasks, you know, particularly tech-based. Like I might put some stuff in the CRM or how would you go about doing this or here's this, go and find this person on LinkedIn, add them to CRM. Smash all that and we all sit down, seems really great, personality fit seems good, good skill set, etc. Make an offer, hire them. Six weeks in, this really isn't working. Either the person's not sort of a great fit to to the room and I think that's really you know it is really important I know everyone's not going to get on all the time but you know to me that's if, if that person's then either rubbing people up the wrong way or it's not a good cultural fit then they've got to go mm-hmm. you know because it, it can become damaging to your brand to to you know the pe- people internally yeah how can how can I how can people avoid that happening or how can you reduce the risk I guess, of that happening. Is there any sort of interview sort of techniques? Is there anything you sort of people can be looking out for to, to, to reduce the risk of that happening? I would say, firstly, it's unavoidable all of the time. Mm-hmm. There is no one ever that's going to have hired everybody perfect all the time. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that hiring someone, you, know, the, you as the employer and the candidate, there is an element of risk in taking a punt, mm-hmm. essentially. I've, I've sat with a, a company that, wanted, that have interviewed me for two hours I think they come across great, so I'm going to take the risk of going and joining them, hoping that that's how it stays. Mm. And you do the same thing when you interview someone. My suggestion when I interview people, my interview style when I'm hiring in my own business is I don't interview people. And that's going to sound really odd as a head down there. Mm. But I talk to people. Yeah, We'll talk about chat. work. We'll te- I'll tell them what work's all about, what they're going to be doing in the job. So there's elements of interview stuff in there. Would that be in the office or would you go... I'm coming on to that. Okay. So do, all the in- do, do, do the stuff over Teams, get them in the office. But I decide, the reason, the, the way we decide whether we hire people or not is we go out with them. Mm. And I'm not saying take them down the pub and ply them with tequila and see what they're really like or anything <laughs> like that. Although I know that is a technique that's yeah. been used by some people. <laughs> but just get them in an environment where their shoulders can drop. Yeah, they just feel. And if they want to F and blind, they can F and blind. Yeah. If they want to talk about football or give an opinion on what's happened on I'm a Celebrity, they can do that. Get someone in a comfortable environment because you're going to see more of what they're actually like mm. than sitting there and getting them to do a 30, 60, 90 day, what you're going to do when you're in role sort of mm. plan. So I would suggest adding some element of that. So yeah. still do the formal bit, mm. but then afterwards yeah. do like a, a, a an informal yeah. bit as well. Yeah, and, but bearing in mind, I'm talking about my industry in recruitment or yeah, marketing. Sure. If you're hiring an accountant or you're hiring an IT developer or you're hiring an HR manager, mm. they're all very nuanced in themselves because they're different roles. Mm. And the type of characteristics you're hoping to get from those individuals are going to be different depending on the role. But it, broadly speaking, people are people. 
and you're only going to get to know someone by letting them be themselves and letting them be relaxed. Mm-hmm. So you have to put them in an environment where where they are going to be as close to their true self as possible. Do you, do you think that's become less important with remote working? Like for, from like a hiring manager's point of view, well, I'm not going to have to sit in an office with this guy five days a week. So actually I'm not that fussed about that cultural fit. I would get role think, specific probably. I think people might have thought like that, but I'd say that's quite a complacent attitude to have because you've still got to work with them. Mm. You've still got to talk to them. You've still got to manage them. You've still got to have difficult conversations. You've still got to pat them on the back when they're doing well, manage them when they're not. And if they're really not doing well, have some awkward conversations. So you've got to, as best you can, get people in your tribe that are going to fit the tribe and mm. are going to understand your management style and are going to be comfortable with how you interact with them. Yeah, and 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 then you can move as one. Then is yeah. you know, and I think what what I've done here is bring sales, marketing, and customer success all under one umbrella because it's important for me that the success of all of those things mm. is based on them all working as I say as one. The, the roles, you know, don't cross over too much, but it's important that sales understand what marketing are doing. Marketing understand what sales want, you know, to get it's out Customer-centric, it. isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. They, all, they all feed into and feed off of customers. Yeah. And that, that customer success slash account management was always very separate to that until fairly recently. But I'm like, look, this is, this is all one, you know, getting those um, reviews, making sure customers are happy using the system and getting the reviews that's so that's, that's marketing and that helps sales mm. and all this other stuff and obviously we still work with all the other departments in the business to make sure technical supports you know d- doing their doing a good job and we're getting good feedback from customers on all yeah. that stuff but to me those they're all you know very similar type of you know people um mm. so it's you know wouldn't necessarily say you know developers have got to work with marketing mm. they're very you know introvert and extrovert just you know, they get on at Christmas do's and stuff. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. crossed. We've got ours on Friday, so I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Am I inviting the post for that? Or Yeah, I thought you were staying. You just stayed. I thought I was just staying for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah <laughs> just yeah. staying for Christmas. Yeah, no we'll, let the, we'll let the missus know. You won't, <laughs> Happy day. you won't coming back. But I think it's, um, you know, and, and, and to me, again, it goes back to that finding that right person that kind of understands that and doesn't mm. want to be that lone wolf. You know, yeah. everyone... Typically in recruitment, you know, a big business might like a lone wolf that's a top biller and just sort of, mm. you know, goes their own way and, you know, sod everyone else and yeah. I'm going after the money and the money hungry. Mm. But I've seen when I, I for my sins worked in recruitment, I did a bit of headhunting. I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I, I stopped doing it. Um, but I saw in a bigger recruitment environment, you know, on a floor of 50, 60 consultants, actually the damage that that one, um, you know, shoot from the hip, mm. you know, sort of top biller can have on yeah. multiple people mm-hmm. and as much as the business loved what he or she was doing you know they never towed the line they never followed process but they were sticking money on the board and upsetting loads of people doing it so the company was like oh no they're fine because they're, they're they're big billers mm. the amount of people that left because yeah. of that person is like that's that that's quite short short-sighted and again maybe putting them in that not as formal environment you might have been I suppose mm-hmm. they might have been able to pick up on that one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well is um obviously during COVID we saw a massive rise in video interviewing yeah that was typically sort of I suppose the rarity before before that you know you might have some companies that were using Zoom or over Teams and they might that might be an initial stage but more and more businesses now are doing 
just a pure video interviewing process. And again, a lot of remote workers are full remote, full behind screens mm. the majority of the time. How do you think that impacts the hiring process? And typically, like we talk about body language and stuff like that previously. As I sit here with my legs crossed away from you. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just move and sit here like this. Yeah. Um, but you know... Do do you do you see that's kind of impacted how people are hiring? And would would someone form an opinion based off someone's background or how they're coming across over over on the screen? Yeah, I think so. I think I think conscious and unconscious bias has been here long before we've been on this planet, and it will be here long after we're gone. Mm. So the things that people pick up on, oh, I like that you said that, and they know that they like it, and then they might spot something or read something on a CV that might make them feel a type of way about someone, but they haven't registered that they've felt that way. So that's the unconscious bias stuff. Mm. That's going to happen regardless. I think video interviewing serves its purpose because it's easy and it's quick and it's Mm. interesting and it's useful. But face-to-face, you can't replace people talking to people. You know, we could have done this over Zoom and we wouldn't bounce off each other in the same way that we have been on and off camera. No, no. You can't. The, the nuance of human interaction and timing and reading body language and like you're nodding your head with what I'm saying now. <laughs> Genuine, I'm being serious. Well, yeah, I yeah. notice that you're doing it and I register it. Mm. I might not spot that on a oh, Zoom call. So I don't know whether you're liking what I'm saying or not. So I think mm. face-to-face interviews is, is the way to go where possible. We've still got, like COVID is still a, a, a thing. People are still having it and testing for it. Mm. The world hasn't ground to a halt around it now, which is great. But there are some people that prefer to not go into an office. Mm. And there are some companies that won't interview over teams. They'll only do it face-to-face. And have you seen an impact in that in terms of the people you're approaching for a role if they want a face-to-face interview? Have you seen applicants that said, oh, I'd rather do a, a Zoom first? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is time. Mm. You know, if you've got to drive half an hour somewhere to get an interview, mm. to have an interview for an hour, then drive home for half an hour, you've technically got to block your diary out for two and a half hours. Yeah. Really? Yeah, if you jump on a Teams call for 45 minutes or an hour, yeah. that's an hour out of your diary. Yeah. I think there's an element of that. But I think a lot of the best feedback I've had on candidates has been off the back of face-to-face interviews. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose it's just like, again, because you can you can pick, you can can pick relate yeah. to them more, you pick up on their body language more and, and stuff. Mm. And we've seen it with, you know, obviously with our software, we do demonstrations. Now, when I started a long time ago, 12 years ago, <laughs> I was out of the office four or five days a week, yeah. you know, and I'd be in London, I'd do three meetings in a day and I'd be, you know, here and I'd have my, my, my wheelie case with my laptop and projector and I'm glad those days had gone mm. and wheeled around a projector because no one used to used to get there and they were, if you got a screen, we can put, no, no. Well, they wouldn't have the cables, yeah. you know, cables yeah. and stuff. So like, you know, tech's great for that. Um, but we've, we've had, we've had some that we're you know uh 30 minutes down the road and we're like great we'll we'll, we'll come in and see you and we can sit down with your team and we can go through this mm. oh no 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 we just we just want to do that on teams and i feel that's sad that kind of people are preferring to not have that mm. interaction maybe yeah. from that point of view it's it they will probably feel more committed and bought into you know that either the process or the they, they feel like they would have to buy because we've been there or whatever which isn't the case yeah i think so I just think when we demoed, you demoed Itris to me virtually, mm. which was fine at the time because I kind of almost knew I wanted the product anyway because I'd used it before. Used it before, yeah. But, there was a bit of history there. Yeah, but I don't know. I think, I don't know how to answer that. Someone was, I feel like I was being sold to more if someone came to the office. Mm. And I would feel, again, subconsciously, almost like I 
should buy because you've been to visit. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I I think I, when it comes to pitching from the other side of the table, I would always much rather pitch to someone face to face. Yeah. Like if I want to, if I'm trying to win a project or tender for something that other recruiters are tendering for, mm. let me come in and see you. Mm. Let me take you out for lunch. Come and meet me halfway. Come to our office. Do whatever. Because again, that that nuance of human interaction is lost a lot of the time over teams. Mm. So I think that face. But personally, I'm a, I'm a face to face all day long. I hope you know that does come back more that face to face because the way we seen it go, I mean, it's saves us a fortune in you know the cost of sale and travelling costs, and there's all these benefits. But actually, you know what we lose from that is building that you know mm. relationship with yeah. a, with 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 a customer. Um, and even, you know, we've seen it across our learning and development and our training departments is, you know, people that often now don't want people to come on site to train their staff. They mm-hmm. want it all full remote, which is fine. You know, we offer both. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that human interaction, I think, has is, is, is gone. But like, we've gone full circle now, haven't we? That whole, yeah, got to be human interaction to, 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 to tech and stuff. Well, lastly, what what do you think, do you think AI will continue to automate and take over a traditional recruitment agency? And what impact do you see sort of that that having on the market in general? The answer to that question is no. I don't think it will. Right. So you think it's just a just a phase we're all going through? It's not necessarily yeah, it's a phase of phase. <laughs> I miss a phase. I think that the recruiters who look to adopt as much of it as possible to save time, save money and cut corners will fall flat on their ass eventually because human interaction, mood swings, mm. interpretation, unconscious bias, conscious bias, nuances, you can't replicate that or certainly you can't at the moment. No. So I, I just think if you were using certain parts of AI to enhance the candidate experience or enhance the tools that you're already using to find candidates for your clients or find jobs for your candidates, utilize those things if they're going to improve, but don't use them to replace mm-hmm. is, is what I think. Don't get me wrong, I might not have a, jo- I might not have a job or a business in 10 years, <laughs> but I genuinely think that I just, I think there's just too much to be held on human interaction. I think people are spending a lot of time trying to find the tech to replace the the, the mm-hmm. manual work as well, which just sees a bit, you know, why? Why don't you just put that time into to to do the manual work? And obviously, we we get quite a lot of exposure with it. With you know, people are asking us for our software to do something, and it's like, isn't that just your job? Like, <laughs> if, it, if if it did all of these things you yeah. were to do, yeah, your company wouldn't need you. Or, no, you know, you could just automate everything. Mm. Um, and I get, you know, there, there's a lot of benefits to, to AI and, and, and automation. But like you said, I think it's finding that balance of, you know, don't don't rely on it. I think mm-hmm. use use those tools that are available to enhance mm-hmm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Don't use it to, so you can just be lazy and yeah. sit there and do and do nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's really important. Mate, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having Definitely me. Definitely owe you some lunch now, so we're going to get out. Oh, I don't mind a bit of food. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Good nice to see you. Yeah, nice one. Cheers, mate.